Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Hello, friends. Or friend. I never know anymore. All my stats and downloads, nothing's working. I haven't figured this out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you've been trying to download the show off the website and it's not working. I'm Supposedly people are on the case, but I'm really, I'm just dealing with faceless corporations and no one's getting back to me. I, I hope someone's on it. I even tweeted at them. Nothing is working. Anyway... That's besides the point. Great show for you today. The final episode in which I am uh, profiling something to do with Hillside Inside taking place Friday, February 7th to February 9th in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, I've gotten to speak to some people I've never spoken before and learned uh, lots of exciting stuff. And uh, as you've heard, I've spoken to people I have spoken before. And that's been good, too. I think it's been a good run, a good month. I've enjoyed it. I hope you did, too. I hope you learned stuff and got into some music you, you didn't know about. Uh, So today is the final episode. I'll tell you about my guest in a second. I just want to remind you that uh, if you're in the Toronto area on Friday, February 7th, my talk show, Long Night with Vishkana, will be uh, taking place live as part of the Long Winter Art Series at the Great Hall. Uh, It starts at, uh, the whole thing starts around 7 p.m. Goes until whenever it ends. Talk show is at 10.15 this time. We had to move it back 15 minutes. In the black box, guests this week are Dave Bedini, Richard Underhill, Jonathan Goldsby, Paul Saunier, and Regina the Gentlelady. Possibly more. We'll see. So if you can make it to that, that would be great. It's pay what you can. Fun time. I'm looking forward to it. Um, So that's happening Friday. Again, Hillside Inside uh, starts Friday, and I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss the Friday, but I'm going to go to the rest of the stuff. And on Friday night, there's the opening uh, Fab Five Cabaret taking place at the River Run Center, and this is five of Guelph's arts festivals getting together and presenting uh, their respective visions in a, in a way. So you've got the Guelph Jazz Festival, the Eden Mills Writers Festival, Hillside, obviously, the Festival of Moving Media, and the Guelph Dance Festival. They're all together doing things, and that's happening at the River Run Center. Hillsidefestival.ca for more information. On the program today, one of the uh, participants uh, as part of the Guelph Dance Festival uh, contribution, which is called the Portal Dance Project. Katie Ewald is on the show today. Uh, Katie is someone I've known uh, quite well, and I've seen her uh, perform, and I've, I've seen lots of contemporary dancers uh, in my day. 
but I've never really spoken to them about their practice. And so Katie and I met in, in her living room in Guelph. You know, I walked down there and we had a chat about her practice and it was very fascinating to me. Because, uh, you know, I, I often speak to musicians, other kinds of people, but I just haven't spoken to someone about dance and it was really illuminating. I think uh, you'll enjoy it. So this is Katie Ewald again taking part in Hillside Inside on Friday night in Guelph if you can make it. But otherwise, enjoy. Enjoy this. I think you'll learn something. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza, the pizza. Personally, I like the gourmet Domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio? Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Comfortable in my house on my couch. It's, see, I knew there was something. It's a little bit of a trick. I'm doing a little technical trick. Yeah, you can't trick. trick me. Now your cat is behind you too. There. Yep. Fazy. 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 Yeah. Fazy looks like a good cat. How old's Fazy? Uh, she just turned eight in September. Is September twenty first. Huh. Yep. And um, she that means fifty in cat years. Oh, why are you telling me that? My cat just turned nine or ten or something. I don't want to know that. <laughs> what is that? So eight? How? What is that? The the division? The I don't know. I think it's not. It's not like seven years human for or dogs. Do, yeah. You know that ratio. It's more complicated. I looked it up online, oh, I and I didn't understand the equation. I just understood eight <clears throat> equals fifty. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to know. Okay. I want my cat to just be fine all yeah. the time, and then I don't want to know about him. You know, I love my cat. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Katie, what uh, what can we talk about? We have so much to talk about in terms of you and your work, and I don't even know that much about it. I've known you a long time now. But I, I, I want to talk about dance stuff. Yeah. Because I don't know anything really about it. And I know that when we've had conversations about it, you feel like it's a really underrepresented form. Like, people mm-hmm. don't often talk to dancers. Mm-hmm. And first of all, why do you suppose that is? Why, why aren't people paying enough attention to dance um, people? I don't really know the answer to that. I have some suspicions. That's what I want. Um, yeah. I want this to be <laughs> slightly scintillating. Yeah, I want suspicions. Yeah, I Theories. Sus- yeah, I suspect um, dance is harder to understand than theater or music. And music you can take home with you. You can go see a live show and then you can take, you can purchase something and take it home with you and you can own it somehow. Um, the body is more mysterious to people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think even more people end up being in choir or band or bands with their friends in high school than people who do dance. Um, that's fair. That's true. And and just to be clear for people who are listening, the kind of dance we're talking about isn't particularly conventional. Yeah, no, for sure. It's not like... Um, ballet or and or tap dance or something you could see on um so you think you can dance but so. do you when you see like i go to sometimes i go to basketball games mm-hmm. that's the only example i can think of when there are people like cheerleaders or whatever dance pack they're called at the Raptors right. game so when you see a, a a troop of people doing that kind of choreography and dance do you relate to it in some way or do you kind of look down upon it? Like what is your feeling about what, I guess that's sort of like mainstream dance. Um, it, you know, it's funny initially the second you said that I right away attached to the basketball players because those are the people that I would connect to first. So the kind of concentration that they have on each other uh-huh. and the space. So they're working together, negotiating this court, which has a defined space, Oh, right? I see what you're saying, yeah. And they're, um, they have different plays, um, but yet, you know, so that's a known, but they still have unknowns, so um, exactly who's going to take the ball from the other team or what's going to happen with the, the ball. They're negotiating constantly. They're negotiating with the ball with each other and their goals, and I that is, to me, partly what I do. You, you relate more to so any kind of coordinated squadron you would relate to more than well, but I mean at the same time, well, what you're saying about the the players though, isn't that possibly true about a dance pack like a a group of people? Yeah, although I and I don't look down upon them because um, have you read Carl Wilson's um, sort of musing on taste? Yes, Let's talk about Celine, love. Yes, Celine yeah. Dion. Yeah, about Celine Dion. So yeah. he uh, that book really influenced me into something something that I already felt it really kind of like pushed me into that just saying you know people love what they love I'm not going to look down on other things as long as you know it's not work that is inherently sexist or racist or you know harmful to other people but um uh yeah so what that dance troupe would be doing or the cheerleaders or the pack would be a really defined set of movements and um uh, there would be I'm sh- I don't know actually but very little improvisation I'm sure yeah and so um, it's about uh, a virtuosity that has to do with like uh, a form that you're supposed to adhere to and then you practice that as much as you can you often try to be in unison and then you do it and you end up learning it so that you don't have to think about it anymore and then you it's just like it happens right right. Um, whereas what the basketball players are doing is they're constantly in the state of negotiation where their physicality and their practice has to be put to the test in some way. And that is more what I do so as, the, a, as a, the kind of contemporary dance that I uh, participate in. So from what I can gather, then what you're also saying, though, is what you really relate to beyond the kind of physiological action uh, of a group working together as, as, a, as a unit, the improvisation, the kind of reaction to each other, that's something that you really relate to. 
Yeah, that and the spontaneity. And then yeah. even further beyond that would be the way the basketball players are doing a task. So they're being themselves doing a task. And okay, I'm sure there's some showmanship and some playing it up to the crowd. Flair? Yeah, or yeah. playing it up to the crowd. But generally, they're not thinking about performing as something you put on. Right. Whereas some modes of dance is very much about this is um, me doing something and then this is me also sort of showing you I'm doing something. And the kind of um, performance that I've um, investigated and I'm really interested in is a lot more about um, trying to be that person <clears throat> just doing a task. But are you then, so okay, are you less a performer uh, are you more like you're doing this? This is a, this is a practice you do for yourself. Uh, I, I think first, right? I mean, that's probably true of anyone who does anything. Uh, but do you see your relationship with an audience as being particularly important to your practice? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Because it, without the audience there, you know, I don't know. It just reminds me a lot of this conversation I had with my friend Anne LeBeau, who's this great dancer in Montreal and she just said all dancers are narcissists huh. because you need that person in front of you watching you and so it's this I don't know I often think of that conversation because a lot of the people at the table really resisted that idea myself included but yeah. at the same time I see there's a lot of truth to that because if I didn't need an audience then or if I I don't know. It, it just seems like there's something there. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I mean, I like when when I do stuff like this. You and I are in a room right now, and we're talking to microphones. And there's uh, arguably at some point, there's likely right now. I can't temporarily figure out how to explain this, but there are people listening to this right now, and I do check numbers to see who's listening and all that stuff. But at some level, I don't. For better or worse, I don't really alter too much of my approach based on numbers fluctuating or anything like that. Or, uh, and, and I mean, I think you're in a similar position. You're engaged in an art form that is never going to be, likely never going to be truly popular. Yeah, I would agree with you. Or appeal to a populist sentiment, right? Like you're yeah. doing something that's fairly niche. So when a band plays a show, and maybe they're a smaller band, let's say, uh, and they're making some kind of outsider music, um, you know, the convention is that the audience numbers will fluctuate. They'll go from town to town. Oh, this show is great. There were 50 people there. Ah, uh, you know, there's only seven, eight people at this show. How do you relate to that dynamic with an audience? Like, are you seeing, I guess I'm curious about supply and demand or something like right. that. Well, um, there are a lot of super fans. So there's a lot of people that really believe a lot. There are some people that really believe in the art form and really like a particular company that you're ending up working with. Um, that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. And um, those people are very, very engaged. Um, and yeah, I've been, I think it, actually translates more into a lack of opportunity. So it's not so much that there's few people at shows, although um, that is happening. Um, but it's more that, you know, we perform it a show once, twice. We go on tour, do it a couple more cities, 
maybe, and then it's done. Right. Um, so the life of a piece is unexpectedly, it's unexpected and it's often short. Why is that? Why is that the pattern? Why, why wouldn't you replicate or try to replicate Uh, the same piece? It's the way it's done, I guess. Mm. Like, um, if we were to do that, well, I guess like a festival would buy a show and once they've presented it, they're not going to present that show again because there's so many other choreographies out there they could present to that presenting your show again would well politically it wouldn't be a nice thing to do but couldn't you have a show that you take from dance festival to dance festival like you're saying they don't it's not commonly done yeah uh, that is commonly oh done, that is more common okay but it's not like you're gonna hit every festival with your show how many dance I festivals mean, are there in canada um i'm not a hundred percent sure but um there's one in newfoundland there's uh, one in Montreal. There's uh, Can Dance in Toronto. There's one in um, Ottawa. No, Can Dance is in Ottawa, and the Made in Canada is in Toronto. Okay, so FTA there's, is in Montreal. There's a few dotting every kind of major city, mostly. Yeah, there's one in Vancouver, and then there's a, there's a sort of theater festival with a little bit of dance in Calgary. Okay, so... And then there's one in Guelph. There's one in which Guelph. Which is, like, amazing and why I'm here, partly. <laughs> is it, that's what I was going to ask you, because you lived in Montreal for some time. Uh, did you ever live in Toronto? No, I never lived in Toronto. You're from London, Ontario area? I grew up on a farm near London. Well, yeah. London, and from there you ended up in... I ended up in Montreal, and then I was in living in Brussels for a while, and then I was back in Montreal. And then when we decided, got married and decided to have a kid, and when we were pregnant, we decided to move closer to family and Toronto just seemed like to be really honest with you Brian I didn't want to work that hard yeah uh, it seemed really expensive and you know living in Montreal not working that hard all the time we considered Guelph but I had lived here and then I said to myself well there's a dance festival here so did you not? know did you know much about it before um no huh. not really I I often make these major decisions based on like brief gut feelings yeah. <laughs> and my feeling was let's do it so and I've been I just I love Guelph and I love the dance community here um, particularly Janet Johnson I I just adore her I feel like she's my big sister mm. and she's unbelievably supportive she does more things in one day than most people do in three weeks <laughs> and so she's very inspiring and she's just right away she met me and she said you know, come here under my wing. I want you to stay. I want you to feel engaged. I want you to love this place as much as I do. Had she n- uh, heard of you? Or is there like a community of... Um, I know there's a dance community, but do you kind of know one another? Well, the weird thing is the Montreal dance community and the Toronto dance community are a little bit unknown to each other. Mm. So um, I don't know if she knew of me. I've danced for a couple of companies, um, but... I have a small, so I dance for a company called Public Recordings that's in Toronto. And she may have known me from some of that work, but I think it was pretty fresh. Okay. I want to get back to Janet and Guelph Dance. And uh, I guess ostensibly the reason we're talking is this uh, Portal Dance Project. I want to get back to that in a little bit, but I I guess I I haven't really gone into your history. Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but what actually... Do you recall what first drew you to this form of 
expression to, to dance? Well, uh, when I was the same age my son is now, uh, I decided to be a dancer. I was three. You decided at three years old. Yeah, I know. It's kind of shocking, and it w- it is my life, and it was what happened to me, so I'm very used to it, but I walked into a studio. My mom signed me up for a class, and I just said, yes. Oh, okay, that's what it is. Huh. And... Um, well, wait a minute. at three, though, what, uh, I mean, I know you primarily as a contemporary dancer. Yeah, no, so it was three, ballet. Ballet, yeah. okay. And I was a bunhead. Like, I was a ballet kid. A bunhead? Is, yeah, that, is, that, is that appropriate? That's the term for, for somebody who loves ballet and looks down upon head. other huh. forms of dance. Because, to be honest with you, to do ballet, it's so virtuosic. It takes so much strength, yeah. so much precision, so much mm-hmm. practice that you sort of and as a contemporary dancer i uh, you know you sort of had the right to be snobby about how amazing you were <laughs> like i and then you know there was a certain point just because of the physical the physical toil? virtuosity yeah, and yeah. The virtuosity? i okay. mean like i could have done it mentally but i never had the flexibility and when i was uh, you're a strong-willed person is that what you're saying yeah okay totally so if you if you can that this is gives you the strength of character, the, the the will to actually attempt to even do any of these things. Yeah, which most people would look at and be like, eh, "That looks crazy. I can't do that." That's yeah, physically that are, daunting. Yeah, I had a, a a choreographer that I worked with. His name is Daniel Levy, and um, he did a lot of tour and layers. And that is when you jump, you turn, and then you land. Um, and it was just like endless how many times we did it in all the pieces he choreographed. Um. And we were working on one that was three. And he just said to me, it's just willpower. And I just was so frustrated because he was right. <laughs> like partly uh, it's just <clears throat> knowing that you can make yourself do that. You had a or the belief. There was a mental block for you until he said this? No, he was just pointing out he was a little bit, he is a little bit cranky. And he was just pointing out that I was having difficulty basically. Oh, I see. And he, he, I think in some level he was trying to be funny and like get me to relax and do it. But I can't say that I've thought too much about sort of stereotypes about your culture, like the dance culture. But when you say that they have a right to be um, snobby or, you know, whatever, uh, arrogant that kind of starts starts to ring true to me. Again, it's a stereotype, but... Well, we didn't really say arrogant, but like what you are able to achieve as a ballerina is so... I mean, it, you know, it's up there with circus in terms of just the physicality of like, I take my leg and I put it here and then I do that with my head, you know. But the, yeah, but yeah, and I think what I'm getting at too is that I think there's actually a kind of class perception about it like is ballet when you think of ballet you think of fancy like fanciness yeah no for sure well that definitely comes in the history with ballet was invented in the courts and you know in france and russia and um italy and uh so it had to do with people with lots of money yeah yeah aristocratic or you know royalty um but even today like to take ballet lessons you can't be poor right and so most people who have more money are white. So it is. It definitely has like a class 
issue to and it. And that might inform attitudes for the people kind of the like the people who are uh, employing it. Like, are you, um, you know, engaged in it? Yeah, I don't know because honestly, then you know, as a as a mid teenager, I I left that world and focused on contemporary dance. Well, why went, Why did you leave the world? Not uh, that not the, the ballet world. The ballet world. <laughs> the world yeah, um, because I, on some level, I realized I couldn't do ballet. Like I would never be a famous ballerina, um, or even probably work in a company. But the desire to dance was so strong. I. You know, I was thinking, this was later when I was thinking about what university I wanted to go to. And my parents were saying, well, you have to go to university. And I wanted to go to just a dance school. So I looked at Concordia. I visited Montreal. And the there again, it was like this, this weird gut feeling that was like, I think this is the right, it terrifies me. I think this is the right thing to do. Right. And then when I moved to Montreal, it was like everything exploded in my brain about movement and what people can do and the virtuosity of a contemporary dancer has to do with um, their ability to connect to themselves and these complicated structures or complicated um, emotional or uh, character um, uh, investigations um, and not necessarily just the physicality although it's there too, so. Um, huh. I don't think that's something. I mean, I've certainly never considered those levels uh, as a as someone who's observed it. Right. Uh, again, my kind of, I have like limited experience with it. In fact, I feel like a lot of my experience is just from seeing you, right. or or is invariably we've ended up in sort of projects where I'm incidentally playing some kind of music or something. And oh, you're, you're right because you were playing with. Nate, when he had Janet and I... The Minotaurs, that's right. Yeah. Oh, so I maybe even met Janet, that's right. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So anyway, there's that stuff. And then over the years, I've always attended the Guelph Contemporary Dance Festival on some level. Um, um, and so, you know, I, and I... It, I don't know. Maybe it's just my own kind of open-minded appreciation of art stuff. But I do know that some people... Like, I, I'm kind of like, that's cool. Like, I mean, and it's just like, I don't see how anyone could not be into it, I guess is my point. The fact that we kind of, when we started speaking tonight, we kind of had this thing about how maybe it's not as appreciated. Mm. And that might be true, but I think it's like an access thing. Like, I think if anyone could see it, the dance festival in Guelph often does this thing in the park, an mm -hmm. exhibition park, and it's free, I think. I've yeah, never, I've never yeah. paid. Yeah, <laughs> it's free for me. <laughs> I think it's donation. Oh, yeah. is it? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is donation. So anyway, you can go and and everyone goes, and you're seeing this thing, and it's accessible and it's remarkable. People are doing amazing things with their bodies, with the with their muscles. It's it's beautiful. Um, but I guess not. I, I think part of the issue is that you know not everyone has that access point. Yeah, for sure. And it's not everyone's cup of tea. And the I think people think it's weird. Or why aren't you doing something beautiful? Because often it's not beautiful. Often it's torturous or frenetic or, you know, angry, um, sad. You know, it's not always beautiful. Well, it's it's like an emotional... It's a, it's a, It follows an emotional line, right? I mean, emotional mm -hmm. lines aren't beautiful either always. So mm -hmm. maybe that's it. Maybe I think people often associate dance with, as you say, kind of beauty a certain aesthetic kind of quality yeah like sleeping beauty or snow white or you know these kinds of, or you know uh giselle or whatever right yeah. okay yeah. so 
so you get into contemporary dance after leaving the ballet world. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are your influences? Who do you turn to for, I guess, uh, instruction even at well, that point? I was so blessed because my classic Concordia was full of incredible artists and we sort of knew it and um, many of the people that I was in the same class with are still working artists um, so there was that and then the it's a now defunct festival went bankrupt um, but the find which was in Montreal they brought international artists and um, uh, or, uh, Vera Montero, um, William Forsyth, um, Anna Teresa de Kirschmacher. These were the artists that they it just like they blew my mind. I thought, I don't know if I can ever do this, but I want to do this. Right. And then I ended up um, going to Anna Teresa de Kirschmacher's dance school, which is called Parts. And being even, you know, we, when we went to that school, it was in Brussels, it's in Brussels. Uh, we had these passes, so we could, um, for 150, um, what was it called, francs at the time? What was the Belgian francs? Which was about, a d- no, how much? Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Anyways, it was about $1.50. Uh-huh. We could go see a dance show. Right. So I went to every dance show and every amazing company in the world goes to Brussels hmm. to perform. So I just, you know, absorbed a zoo, this company in um, Brussels called zoo really influenced me. And then a, a theater company called forced entertainment has really influenced me. So um, these are artists really on the fringe. Well, Forsyth, not so much or on a Teresa, but um, yeah, people making work that, I just feel like I don't know where they're going. I've never seen something like this. What's happening? Right. That's exciting to me. And you still get that from seeing certain people. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I haven't seen... Hmm, when was the last time I felt like that? I mean, are you still... You're still kind of... I guess whenever anyone's doing anything, you're always, always perpetually a student in a way, right? Like you're yeah. always going to learn something yeah. about what you're doing. So, I'm, yeah, I'm just curious about that. That's interesting. Huh. Yeah. So, Brussels, that's pretty exciting. How old were you when you were in Brussels? Um, 24, 25. Oh, okay. Yeah. You were like, you were an adult. Essentially. Although now when I look back, I'm like, <laughs> you were a baby, but... Right. Yeah. Okay, so you see all these things uh, and you have all these experiences. Can you possibly articulate your particular 
um, approach to contemporary dance? Are there things that you know about yourself in terms of what you bring to a performance that are uniquely yours? Yeah, I think I'm, um, I think <laughs> I like to call myself the master of illusion because I'm really not flexible. Um, and my technique is, it's okay, but it's nothing to like show off about. Um, but I think I am able to be somebody that you can project yourself onto. And so, um, I, I think my performance ability is my virtuosity and my ability to be transparent. Um, I can cry on stage. I can, this kind of thing, it doesn't, you know, it's easy for me to be open to people. Huh. And I think that's people, that and then I, I really like working with the conceptual. So um, if a choreographer wants to create a complicated structure where they want the input from the dancer to collaborate essentially with somebody, then they're going to be more interested in me. And, and um, somebody who just wants somebody to learn steps and do them exactly how they do them, I'm maybe more less interesting to them. Right. Do you do you have a theater background? No, not at all. I learned I learned how to uh, do these things uh, really a little bit at parts, and then <laughs> my first job out of school was, was with this company called Forced Entertainment, which is great name. Oh, I know that. Uh, so they're this like insanely prolific, um, famous, uh, amazing company that has been, um, there's a critic that I went to their 20th anniversary and she said there was Beckett and now there's Etchells and Tim Etchells is the director. So, you know, I, like a total moron, I signed I saw they did this show and I, like, I almost died. I loved it so much. It was, it's a six hour piece. It's called, um, and on the, the thousandth night, and uh, they call it the King's piece because it's like, you know, it's really hard to say. Six hours? You just sat six there? Hours. Six hours. You, you went for six hours? It's a durational piece. Uh -huh. So, and I thought, well, you know, th there's this festival in Brussels um, in May every year and it's phenomenal and they f find the best stuff. Anyway, so it was from midnight to six and I thought, well, I'll, I'll go. You know, you can leave. You're allowed to leave. You don't have to stay. You're not locked. Right. And I sat transfixed. At certain points, I laid down and sort of like drifted off to sleep maybe, but um, they basically just tell stories. Hmm. So it's a very stripped down version of their repertoire. They can be very bombastic and very showman. Right. Um, but uh, I saw that Tim was doing a workshop in August, and I was leaving Europe to move back to Canada in September. So I signed up for it. I did it because I'm a dancer. I just sort of like attacked him and was like, I want to glean everything I can from you. And we really connected and we connected over literature. Huh. We became friends. And I went back to Canada and he emailed me in October and said, do you want to work with me? And I almost died. I was like, I'm 26. And Tim Mitchell's is asking me to work with him. So I flew over to Berlin and got paid in my mind in my life at the time like a bazillion dollars and to do this project and I just I felt like I sat at the feet of my of teachers uh -huh. and then would do stuff and he is so incredible because he rarely says anything negative and he will watch and watch and watch and then he'll say 
you know what's great about that is this and this, and I want you to pull that out of it. Right. Positive. Yeah. And so, yeah, I learned a lot about how to speak and how to just be. Their aesthetic is very, very, um, I am me. Yeah. Uh, Katie Ewald up here on the stage, and um, I'm not playing a character. And if I reference a character, you still all know that it's Katie Ewald. So right, right. They, um, they really, really influenced me. And then I think there's a, there, you know, at the time, and even still, there's a whole movement that is very um, invested in that mode of being on stage. Right. Yeah, so many art forms, particularly music and maybe film, maybe maybe books, I don't know, literature, um, the people who, who make these sorts of things can kind of point to, um, you know, if they're, if they're writing a song, if they're writing a story, they can point to something that may have influenced it, um, whether it's another song, another story, yeah. something uh, in their daily lives. Uh, you are working so much, I think, in the moment. Um is it possible for your sort of whole life to kind of be conveyed in something you're doing in a performance? I Well, it's funny you, yeah, that makes me think of a conversation I had today with Janet about becoming a mom and how deeply it changes your presence and your ability to be a performer. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying that people who aren't parents wouldn't have some kind of experience like this. Uh, maybe it's just like a hyperdrive into maturity or something, but I, you know, I don't know. But I feel I think that people who aren't parents are 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 awful people. <laughs> I think we as yeah, that's parents definitely what we're saying are the best people. No, you're right. No, I see what you're saying. But I, you know, there is something where the first time I performed after I'd given birth, I just felt like I don't know. Uh, there's something so much bigger than me that's so much more important than this. And yet at the same time, I've worked so hard to organize the rest of my life to be able to do a little rehearsal and be here in, on stage right now yeah. that it has this groundedness and openness that I I didn't experience before. And that's because of my life. So you are drawing experientially, <coughs> even if it's like a... I don't know if I'm misinterpreting it. Is there a, is there a preciousness? Is there more? Is this become a a more rarefied occasion for you to be out and doing stuff? Yeah, I mean, I. Wow, well, this kind of brings up a whole other bag of worms, which is. Um, I think it's a can of worms. A can of worms. <laughs> if you've got a bag of worms, you might be in some trouble. Oh God. Yeah. Of like the impossibility of making. It's so difficult right now to make enough money as a contemporary dancer. Yeah. So when you're, you know, you live with your buddy in Montreal and the stakes are low and, you know, you don't need, you don't feel like I got to make sure there's organic food in the fridge, which is something, you know, and then I'm cooking and really well. And then we have like a little bit of money saved and these kinds of things for Asa, my son, then it's okay to be a little more, you know, kind of flying um, project to project, but, and also moving here, you know, I left Montreal. So some of the jobs that I'm probably, you know, potentially would have gotten in Montreal. I don't because it's, it's way too far. I do less, but, um, 
Yeah, but Toronto, you are close enough to Toronto that you can do stuff if you want, right? Yeah, yeah, and I feel like I do. I think I like I feel like I had a good I had a good career and I'm still having a great career, but I don't feel that drive anymore to make sure like I do a thousand things. And I like to work with public recordings. It's my favorite company to work with. And um, I've done lots with that company in the last four or five years. And some things are still touring a little bit. And I'm cooking up a new project with a member of public recordings who, you know, um, we're doing something on our own. We're going to make a duet. Um, But... Uh, it, yeah, it does somehow, somehow become more, um, I don't know if precious is exactly the word, but I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you know, we, we've maybe had these conversations in passing, uh, already, but yeah, we're, I think a few of us are at a point where the economic viability of our practice is starting to catch up with us. You know, you have a kid, you buy a house, you do yeah. these things. And then the reality of it is, you know, it beca- it seems all of a sudden more finite. Whereas I, I just, you know, for me a couple of years ago, I just thought, well, this is what I'm doing and it's yeah. making good money and I'm going to do it. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I honestly, like, to be really honest with you, I didn't think it could get any worse. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I feel like the political <clears throat> climate globally and really in Canada is very anti-art. The Canadian government, because I refer to call it the other thing that they like to call themselves, the Canadian government is very anti-art. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, Buddies in Bad Time lost all their funding for the Rhubarb Festival, which is, like, I get choked up thinking about it. It's one of the most important festivals in North America for um, nourishing experimental out there crazy young marginal art you know live performance right. so um we're having to find out different ways to get it done and we're having to be more creative about how we do that like the com- public recordings we have con- we continually have a conversation amongst the members about how do we make work anyways yeah so, yeah. I, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of disciplines that are going through this sort of, not because of funding necessarily, but, well, I mean, funding is connected to, it's just our economic climate. Yeah. You know, what, what are we supposed to do? So, yeah, it's it's strange times. Well, I do want to ask you about this Portal Dance Project, because that's, again, why we're, we're here. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what this is? It's, it's happening at Hillside Inside. Yeah, so um, uh, Janet Johnson, her company is called Portal Dance Projects. She um, originally made this piece. Um, it's a site-specific piece that she made for Gold... No, is that what it's called? Goldie, Goldie Mill. Mill. Yeah. yeah. So um, Which it, is, this is an outdoor, kind of historic outdoor structure in Guelph. Uh, it was an old mill. They're almost like ruins. It's a ruin. It's yeah. a stone beautiful stone ruin and yeah. and that's what it is and it's an open probably was an old mill factory or whatever yeah. and and now it's just 
the what did the ruins. <laughs> and it is it is a remarkable space. Like when you yeah. when I first encountered it in Guelph, I was like, "What? This is beautiful." Yeah. So I understand how she was inspired, and it was it's a it was a full evening length work, and it was presented outside. And um, so for Hillside Inside, it's really a shortened version because there's other. Um, You're part of artists. a cabaret, yeah. There's other stuff going on. Other stuff going on, yeah. So, um, and she has taken. There's two performers that aren't that were in it that are not in it, and I'm somebody who was never in it before. So I'm learning oh, it for oh, the first time. Okay. Um, and Janet's performing, which is amazing. That's another reason you should really go, is because Janet's an amazing performer. And I, she doesn't perform a lot. Hmm. Um, and so, and then it's, Lin, so it's myself, um, Janet Johnson, Lynette Siegel, who is a dancer who lives in, works in Guelph, who's married to Ben Grossman, right. musician here. And uh, Robert Kingsbury, who has lived here on and off and whose sisters live here. Um, and, but he lives in Toronto. Well, he splits his time between Toronto and Berlin right now. And, um, it is, um, fairly set, but there is definitely, um, a real element of improvisation to it. Yeah. You were saying that you had to learn the piece and I'm just curious how that makes sense with what, what your normal practice. Right. Well, um, it's a little bit more quote unquote set movements than I have been involved with in the past, but, or in the past, you know, five to 10 years. Um, but, uh, Janet is very interested in improvisation as well. And I think partly, uh, and Robert is as well. And partly cause Robert and I are in it and Lynette as well. She's pushed that element a little bit more mm -hmm. and she's changed things because I'm replacing, I'm sort of like standing in for two different dancers who are both probably five or six inches shorter than me. Oh, so that can affect things too. And the movements were really idiosyncratic to each dancer. Um, so some things have been shifted, but uh, I've been learning the piece in the last week and a half. And so it's starting to settle in my body, but it's still quite a new um, experience. Is it possible for you to describe the piece in some way? It's a... Sure. So um, for her, the inspiration was really... Um, uh, light and dark, so um, both metaphorically like the light and the darkness, mm -hmm. um, but also really very literally like uh, the lighting design is quite important. There's very specific lights, and we work with in the light and or within the dark in a very um, specific way. Um, but uh, it starts with. Um, she calls it an incantation. So it's kind of like a little bit softer, but then it really kind of gets very dark. So there's a lot of, um, mm, struggle or angst or, um, difficulty and then moves towards the light. Um, and I, th I know it's been inspired by, uh, personal, um, events in her life, oh, okay. you know, family members and things, but, um, she does. She doesn't talk about that a lot. That's not a a big thing that she shares with us. But um, definitely the mode of being, um, you know, precariously in the light, getting sucked into the dark, or um, 
Is this your, so you're saying she doesn't talk to you about it a lot. Is everything you're describing your interpretation of what's going on or is this something she did articulate? Um, It's sort of a mix of both. She articulates a bit, but she doesn't talk about her own personal connection okay, to okay. it. So then, and then I'm just trying and to... And then I glean things from the dancers too because, and that's what you do in a company. Like the choreographer says something, but you kind of look at your compatriots and they're like, yeah or no, or or she forgot to say this or, you oh, know. okay. You really rely on each other a lot. Okay. Yeah. And the kind of the intermingling between you, you say it's set piece, so there's and there's chore- so there's actual choreography. You've got to move between each other in a yeah. certain way. And then and when the, is there like a point when the improvised part starts, or are you, is it within? Well, that? you're you're touching on something really really important to me, and that is, um, and it's very different than music because it doesn't have quite the same. Um, mm, tropes, I guess. Um, but, um, I really like to defend and talk about improvisation as um, that just because something is, uh, unknown and based on a cerebral structure doesn't mean that it's not choreographed. Okay. So, saying, so okay. some people might say, oh, but that means improvisation. And I mean, it, partly it's semantics, but then it, I like to, you know, not be so black and white about what is improvised and what, you know, that stuff is improvised and that stuff is choreographed. Because, okay, let's say you're given very particular movements like you put your left foot here you bend your elbow there and you repeat that um there's still you know have you ever done something like i don't know tai chi or yoga or yeah i've done yoga yeah yeah like a practice that you do again and again and again and again and there is sometimes this totally new experience within a movement you've done 570 times totally yeah yeah so there's that aspect to the choreography and then um just because you're working within a system or a structure, I like the idea of system better, doesn't mean that it's less known than a choreography for me. Right. Okay. I, I, I think I, I see what you're saying. You're kind of talking about that dynamic space between, as you say, improvisation and choreography. And you're saying that that space is a, I don't know, it's an active one. It's not. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And people want to define it right away. And yeah. the, and then when when you work with something that is hard to tell, people want you to say right away. They're like, was that improvised? Well, who you does, know? though? I mean, how many people... Like, I'm asking you about a thing I haven't seen before. Lots of people do. People Critics. Do yeah, okay. Um, audience members. Uh, some people really don't. Some people are on the same you know, side as I am. Do you think that the weight... It's interesting, like in music, which is what I know better or best. Um, there's the kind. Of, let's say, let's say that a compos. Well, I guess it's composition versus improvisation as opposed to choreography. But there are different um, levels of uh, scrutiny for each. So there is a camp that thinks that improvisation is stronger more interesting, more powerful than composition. Whereas, you know, other people would be like, ah, improvise it. They're just making it up. They don't know what they're doing. Clearly the composition is more of an achievement. 
Right. So is there a similar kind of... Are there camps and dance? Yeah. Too? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, but with, to me, I'm like, why is that important? Isn't it important what's happening and how in the moment and how I am reacting towards it, like whether feeling or thinking, Yeah. you know, it, at the, the question of whether or not it's improvised or, um, composed, that's a lot less interesting to me than unless you want to learn the piece and do it with me. No, 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 but that's fair. But when, when a critic or whoever says to you, was that improvised? You, you, when you even conveyed that anecdote to me, there is kind of an inherent excitement and expectation in that question. Like almost like they want you to say yes, because, yeah. and, and, and that to them makes it more thrilling. Oh, you just made that up. Right. But then I'm like, yeah, but then I also just practiced that for four years. Yeah. So I practiced that, you know, it's like, there's this idea sometimes that improvisation is like, okay, let's just on the fly make up the you know, craziest stuff we can do right now, which well, you can do that. But um, a lot of the things I'm involved with are, you know, it's it's a practice of and complicating the structure so that there's always more you can, you know, kind of pull out or delve into within the system. Right. Okay. No, it's fair. It's, it, I feel like this is an endlessly... Uh, interesting subject that a lot of people don't really get into for whatever reason. Oh my God, reason. it's my jam. I, I know, it, I know yeah. it is for you, and I I'm, feel like I've learned a lot just from sitting here and talking to you. So I appreciate it. what what is uh, this is normally the point in a program where I would say to a musician, "What's coming up next?" And they'll say, "Oh, you know, I got the record coming out. I got these tour dates." But yeah, do you have something similar? Yeah, um, at the at last week of February, I'm rehearsing with Public Recordings a piece called Relay. Um, and then we're taking it to Belgium. We're going to, uh, you're going to Belgium. Yeah. And I have never performed there as a professional. Wow. So I'm pretty excited. And, um, we go for a week, first week of March and relay is a piece we put to bed. We thought it was never going to, um, get performed again. And there's 10 performers. Uh, so it's kind of an expensive piece because of that. And so, when uh, this theater, this theater called Stuck, bought it, we were just—I think the whole company is just so excited and happy to do it again. It's a really physical piece, so I've been training a lot because I feel. God, I haven't—I haven't done it since um, 2011. Oh wow! So um, you know, your body changes in three years. Absolutely, and. Uh, and Wait, did, when did you have your child? In 2011, right? Yeah. 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 The last time we uh, had him in January and then we'd done a whole bunch of dates in 2010 and then we did it when he was nine months old. Oh. Okay. So I was kind of like, oh, here, I did it. <laughs> but, um, but it wasn't so far, you know, yeah. but now I feel like, wow, we've got some work to do. We have to recall it. It's over an hour. Right. And we've got a, it's very complicated structures that are very exciting to perform. And the group of people that I work with are so inspiring to me. And Eric Craven and Eric Schnow did the music for that. Right. So I get to go on tour with those. Oh, they're going with buddies. you. Yeah. Oh, nice. They're yeah. good people, the two Eric's. They're amazing people. And Eric Craven and I are the, we like to joke, we're the guys that like at nine, we're like leaving the party, but we don't feel so lame because both <laughs> of us leave at nine. Right, right, right. So All right, well. He's my tour buddy. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, good for you. I'm 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 glad that uh, things are going uh, 
I, I want to say so oh, well. And I should say too, I'm going to be performing in the um, Guelph Contemporary Dance Festival. Oh, this year? Yeah. So that will be in? It's the very last weekend of May, which becomes the first. It's kind of like the end of May, very beginning of June. June, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that, that that's great. Yeah. Do, do you know what you're doing there yet? Yep. I'm doing a solo that I created called Solo Act. So. That's the name you came up with, Katie? Solo Act? Okay, I, I tell you what, we got to come up with a better name. Look, I'm married to a writer, so uh, I, I'm fully aware of, like, it's, I think, it, you know, if you... You know what you should call it? Phasey's Revenge. That's your cat. I see Phasey. Phasey's just, like, licking... Can you hear that? Yeah, we can hear it. I think so. Oh, Phasey's now sniffing yeah. the microphone. She's my... She's my... I think continual fa- compa- Phasey's continuous Re- companion. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Phasey's Revenge. Okay. At the Guelph Contemporary Dance Festival. Well, that's that's great. Uh, for more information about Portal Dance Project, where can people go ahead of the Hillside Inside thing? I actually don't know if she has her own website. Like Guelph, so is, is it not part of guelphdance.ca? If you go on guelphdance.ca, I'm sure you can find okay, something there. Okay, there's stuff there. Yeah. Hillsidefestival.ca. Yeah. And you can see Katie. Katie, this was great. Thanks so much. Fish. Thank you. I, I, I hope really you had. Great. This was good, wasn't it? It was awesome. I think we it was. We should come over every week and we should do this every week. <laughs> so right. we're too tired. Yeah, we're both kind of tired. But yeah, no, this was great. And I wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much. You too. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.